Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to the Internet's most popular radio show. Most popular. Home of the Count St. Germain. Absolutely. He's, where's he been for the last couple weeks? He's probably been bored out of his head. Uh, he's probably been partying. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the new year, and he's got another year under his belt. Under the, what, is. how many <laughs> other millennia? Other years. He was probably in Times Square. I bet partying. he was. I bet he was. I bet he was. He was out there like, man, I can't wait to get back in here with them uncanny boys. That's As right. always, it is your host, Rob, and I'm joined with my co-host, the ever-so-sickly Spider. Yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. It's holidays, and you take your kid out to uh, to visit family, and then there's all kinds of kids there that you don't know, and you pick up germs, your kid comes home with a cold, and then everyone in the house is sick. So welcome to my house, where everyone is sick. <laughs> and that was our house last week, where everyone was sick. You already I'm know. just getting over it, and now Spider gets his dose of this sickness, and we're not talking about David Tremaine's dose of the sickness. <laughs> so today we have a very special, interesting, and amazing topic we're bringing to you. Everybody drama, please. Alchemy and the Philosopher's Stone. That's right. Ah, there we go. Some applause for that. That was That's a popular topic, so we're going to put some applause on that. All right. Yeah, for the Philosopher's Stone, Alchemy, the, the whole thing's pretty neat. A lot of people just see it as as the, oh, yeah, you turned the lead into gold. I know all about that. But there's, like, so many layers to it so more than that. It's it's physical. It's spiritual. It's everything. So we're going to dig into the how, what, when, where, why. And we're going to tell you how to make your own gold for nine ninety five a month. Just kidding. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just so kidding. What, what is alchemy? Let's talk about let's let's get to the definition first. Let's get to the base definition. Oh. Let's do it. Like a like a base metal. That's right. Oh. But not like, you know, Pantera or Metallica <laughs> base metal or something like that, you know. Yeah, if you're listening to the show Pantera Metallica, you are kind of a base metal. So. <laughs> Anyways, it, uh, the definition says that it is a medieval chemical science and speculative philosophy aiming to achieve the transmutation of the base metals into gold, the discovery of a universal cure for disease, and the s- discovery of a means of indefinitely prolonging life. Yes. Now, and, everybody's... Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, di- I, I always got to interrupt because I always get excited. Okay. I'm just like, oh, because... Like I said when we opened it with this, it, the most common thing that, that you have with it is that people assume that you're going to use it to, uh, to alchemical, alchemical stuff is like chemistry, right? It, it's where the word chemistry kind of is intertwined with. And uh, and modern chemistry kind of came from alchemy, actually. It was yes. an extension of it. And we'll actually get into a person that, well, a couple people actually that aided in the formation of said chemistry into, from alchemy, I should say. So first of all, we're gonna, we're gonna the the word itself alchemy. So, chem is the original part of that being from ancient Egypt. Chem means the black lands, so it comes from the black lands. Um, then it was went over to Greece, where Greece took it and added the word chemia, which was their way of saying Egypt. And then the Arabic world brought in the al in front of it. Alchemic, meaning the Black Lands. So it was all kind of, and the Black Lands were in Egypt, of course. Hence, why it was called 
Alchemy. 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 An interesting, uh, an interesting thought about that, and I don't know if anything's been written about it, but it kind of is one of those things that kind of makes me go, hmm, how interesting. Um, one of the things, one of the earliest chemical things that was that was pretty common in the medieval day and age was uh, was making gunpowder. Even if they didn't use it for weaponry and stuff like that, they they had um, they were playing around with it and doing things with it way back when there were still swords hacking at each other. So, black um, with uh, with gunpowder, it's black powder, and black powder came from black sand, uh, yes. so to speak. And so it's interesting to note that perhaps the black land and the black powder are intertwined, and because that was one of the earliest versions of chemistry, that maybe they thought that uh, that making gunpowder was a form of alchemy. Hmm. Interesting thought. Very good point. Now, the reason the Greeks uh, actually did incorporate some of the Egyptian concepts into their belief system was that they believed in the concepts of matter, matter being the four greats, fire, earth, air, and water, with the Egyptian sacred sciences. Now, as anybody knows, the Egyptians were very serious when it came to burial of bodies. There was jars set aside for organs and different things of that nature. Oils are rubbed on the body. Different other varying things, concoctions and everything else used in daily routines and things of that nature. So we have an already established society that that has these beliefs and these different gods and these different concepts. Then you have another civilization that brings their ideals and, and concepts into it. Then they intertwine. And what we're going to see throughout this discussion of alchemy is every civilization has added its little bit of uh, salt and pepper to the mix of alchemy. You know, Chinese, Indian. So we'll talk about that more in depth. But a couple folks of the early times of the alchemical world, one of the very first was a man by the name of Zosimos of Panopolis. He is created as one of the first authors of alchemical works. Mary the Jewess was another author of alchemical works. Unlike Zosimos, Mary's works did not survive. So there's no uh, works attributed to her that you can find on the internet now. Zosimos has a couple things. And then there was Cleopatra the Alchemist. Now, Cleopatra the Alchemist is not to be confused with the same Cleopatra of ruling dynastic Egypt. Cleopatra the Alchemist was another young lady, and she was one of four women, women, also with uh, Mary the Jewess, or Maria the Jewess, who could actually create the Philosopher's Stone. And she was an author as well. And we'll get more into the Philosopher's Stone a little bit later on in this conversation. And then there's a couple other people I want to talk about, but I'm going to let Spider go ahead and get in here and give his thoughts on some of this uh, alchemy now of course there was a lot to the physical aspect to it but the other half of it is that it was also a uh, a philosophical a, a spiritual um a spiritual outlook attributed to alchemy too because supposedly while you were looking for the uh the perfect alchemical formula to turn lead into gold you were also supposed to be working on the self and you're supposed to keep your mind in a certain state of being in order to accomplish it because you couldn't do it just on base, uh, just be being straight up just logical about things. You couldn't just do it through study. You had to actually believe in some sort of transubstantiation. 
Um, a lot of people know the modern idea of that is uh, is the Christian idea, where if you go do communion and you get the wafer and the, and the grape juice, you're supposed to it's supposed to transform into the body and the blood spiritually. That's called transubstantiation. The idea isn't just limited to that, though. Of course, part of that came from the early alchemical ideas, in that by by changing one element to another, you weren't doing it purely naturally. You were doing it kind of supernaturally. And you were supposed to do that to yourself as well. You're supposed to change yourself from a base kind of kind of fleshy person into a, a spiritual person, not necessarily pure energy per se, but a more enlightened. Um, it, it was the the Western idea of uh, of of like Nirvana, of of becoming a Buddha or becoming somebody who's just supremely enlightened person, finding that moment of Zen. Um, now it's it's funny you bring that up, and I hate to interrupt because. I have a thought too, like you had a thought earlier. Mm-hmm. You've ever—I don't know how familiar some of you out there with are with the latest slang from the the youth of today. They have a saying that says a female or things are basic. You have to wonder if they took that concept of base, you know, your base person, and just kind of put that little basic spin on it. Because if something is basic, it has yet to attain its its greater form so to speak. And in alchemy, as we'll see, it always starts with a base. Base metals, so lead into gold was the easiest one to go into, but sometimes there'll be a, a, a stop in the road, so it'll, it won't go from lead to gold right away. It might go from lead, excuse me, to silver, and then to gold. Mm. And there's a, there's a gentleman that we'll talk about later who actually started from a, a base metal and then went to silver and then perfected the silver and then turned that into gold. And there'll be a lot of different ways that this happened. And the reason, <clears throat> and I didn't want to cut Spider off of this, but the reason why you had to be in this mindset was that the the creation of the Philosopher's Stone took, it was said it takes 60 years. Now, there's a, now that's depending on how you uh, translate the actual text. Some of the texts uh, would say six years. Other texts would say different. You know, it's all depend. A lot of texts differ on how you're actually supposed to create it. What's known is there's mercury and a lot of fire, as well as mm-hmm. moon. It, it, there's a, it, that's a lot into it. Like I said, we'll get into that a little bit later, and I'm gonna let Spider finish his point because there's a, a, a big person I want to talk about when, mm-hmm. when Spider finishes. Thoughts. One of the things <clears throat> that uh, that finding the the uh, the perfect formula going from lead to gold was supposed to do spiritually too, is it was supposed to actually allow you to become an immortal. It was supposed to allow you to attain immortal life. It was like the, the fountain of youth kind of thing. So all that was tied together, too. Real interesting set of concepts. One of the people, and this might have been one of the people that you're going to talk about, maybe not. We're always going to talk about him anyway. But one of the people who supposedly had found the formula of lead into gold and was the perfect alchemist was our good old boy, Count St. Germain. The homie. Get, you know what? Stop what you're doing, Spider. Give that man a round of applause. Let's pull always. that up. Let's go ahead. Let's pull up some cheers. Yeah, there you go. There's a round of applause for Count Saint Germain for Count, finding Count. the Philosopher's Stone because that's really what the end result was. It wasn't gold particularly; it was called gold, but you were supposed to find the Philosopher's Stone, which was supposed to both help you turn the lead into gold and also be the end result at the same time. So it was kind of one of those yes. things that had to 
be there to create itself, so to speak, which is an interesting little contra- uh, contradiction. It very much is, and what we're going to notice, too, is, is one of the big figures here with alchemy, and, and this is one of their bigger... It, it's a deity in that it is a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Hermes Trismegistus. Yes. Or the Hermes Thrice Greatest. Also known as Thoth in Egyptian. The Emerald now, the Tablet. Thing, yes, Emerald Tablet. And the thing is with the with Hermes, he is the same Hermes that you're thinking of from Greek mythology, but he's also Thoth from Egyptian mythology. And that right there is just the intertwine of it, the, the, the intermingling of Greek and, and Egyptian culture coming up to create this. The, em- the Emerald Tablet, as uh, our good buddy Spider has, has talked about, is one of the big key things of alchemy itself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go ahead and let Spider explain what the Emerald Tablet actually is. Now, the Emerald Tablet is supposed to be, and, and there have been people who said that they've seen it, that they've found it, all kinds of things, but it, it's one of those lost um, text kind of things, and there's supposed to be <sighs> written um, written text that's supposed to be an exact replica of what was on the tablet, but the tablet was it was supposed to be actually literally made out of emerald or at least a green metallic substance of some kind and it was supposed to be all of his thoughts and treaties on um, on both uh, philosophy on on the philosopher's stone on alchemy on on his view of what was called magic at the time um, all kinds of really interesting stuff and there's a lot of a lot of uh, modern day or relatively modern from the last like hundred years on a lot of secret societies, um, have claimed to be based on the teachings of the Emerald Tablet. Um, it's supposed to have inspired the Golden Dawn. It's supposed to have inspired um, Crowley on a lot of levels. Um, any of your modern secret society type people who are into Egyptian things usually almost always based off of um, Emerald Tablet philosophy. Yes. And that's a good point. Now, now tell us, Spider, what is in what is what is supposedly in the Emerald Tablet itself? Let's what take a look at what the concepts? specifics are. Let me pull it up to make sure I've got it. Because I'm working mostly from memory because I did a lot of uh, a lot of um, study into this back in the day, but I don't have those notes with me. Um, funny story. I thought this was we were supposed to be doing this show next week, and there was a little bit of miscommunication, so I didn't bother yeah. to actually like look anything up right yet. I was thinking, oh, I got a whole week to look things up and behind, and then uh, Rob here's like, hey, so uh, you ready for the show tomorrow? I'm just like, <laughs> no, I'm certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old old Robberino here. I that kind of messed that up. But, you know, I, th- I think in the last show that we talked about couple weeks back i think i said this week. either way we're here we're here we're, we're doing this thing yeah, and i got some it. info for you on uh, on the emerald tablet now speaking of emerald i'm gonna drink some whiskey here real quick emerald irish anybody get it uh whatever Ooh, just wet the throat a little bit and um supposedly what they've found of the translated text is uh they they attribute it to hermes of course and uh, they believe that it was written between the 6th and 8th centuries. Now, there's multiple translations. Um, Sir Isaac Newton had a translation, 
and his papers on it are um, are in Cambridge University. He has alchemical papers, like his own thoughts yes. on alchemy and things. So he tried experimenting with it himself. So the idea has come up that far along. Isaac Newton is in the last like few centuries. It's from the last few hundred years. So, um, but uh, what he had on it is it has a lot of attribution to um, to the sun and the moon. And, uh, and how they were, were deified. Um, there's not a lot of uh, a lot of info here on what exactly was in it specifically, but many many people were influenced by it. If anybody wants to look into the philosophical things by these following people, you'll get an idea of uh, of how influential the thing was. Um, Roger Bacon, Albertus Magnus, Isaac Newton, of course. Um, the text was supposed to be, quote, a popular summary of alchemical principles wherein the secrets of the philosopher's stone were thought to have been described. And, uh, again, even Carl Jung identified it. He said it was called a a green stone, and, uh, and he encountered it in a set of dreams, supposedly, at the end of 1912, and, um, and it went to influencing a lot of his, um, psychological thought things like that and even people as modern as uh, as Julius Ruska who was born in 1867 and passed on in 1949 studied the well what we have of the tablet in the 12th century um so there's a lot to it it's 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 an interesting piece i i wonder how uh what the oldest edition is where they found it um what the circumstances were and um and I'd like to read one myself. I've read it. I've read translations. I've read translations. I would like to, at some point, um, learn enough of, of the languages involved and try to read one myself. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm really bad with language. I'm terrible with language, as you can tell by my butchering of English on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> but um, I would still like to do it. It's it's a goal of something that I may like to do, whether it's attainable or not. But um, it's supposed to have the concise formula for turning lead into gold via the Philosopher's Stone. Now, the Philosopher's Stone itself, it wasn't just for turning lead into gold. And the Philosopher's Stone itself is also said to not just be a stone. There's different interpretations of exactly what the Philosopher's Stone actually is, which leads me to believe that the Philosopher's Stone could be many different things from many different people. But some of the things that it is known as is the prima materia, the powder, or the tincture. Now, the reason it's known as the powder is because it can also take the shape of said idea. Now, in alchemical uh, writings and pictures, and, and if anybody has ever seen <clears throat> an alchemical picture, you, it doesn't make any sense. But there's a lot of geometry. It does. Yeah, and there's a lot of symbolism that you're going to mm. see. For instance, a man by the name of Nicholas Flamel, and, and I'll get into him a little bit later. I just want to touch on this briefly. He wrote his own book. Now, the book is, is titled, and I'm going to butcher this because it's in French, and then I'll do it to the translation, Livre des Figures Hieroglyphiques, the book of the hieroglyphic figures. In this book, Flemel has come up with these, I, I would say, almost religious status symbols that, it, that show uh, kings and God and, 
and, and people, and they're all kind of doing things. Uh, for instance, there's one with a man holding a rod, and the rod has two snakes wrapped around it. Almost like the, if anybody's ever seen the physician's symbol, it's almost Coticus. the same base. Yes, thank you. So he breaks these things down and, and talks about what they are, but, but alchemical pictures are never translated to an extent where it's just like, so this means this, 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 this. They're never laid out to perfection. It's always this moon dictates that this is the symbol for something, but then that description doesn't make much sense until you've sat there and studied it. And that's the thing with a lot of these alchemical books, picture, sign, symbol. You have to sit down and absorb it. It's not something you can sit down and read like a fiction book, and in one sitting you're going to get all of it. You could look at one picture right now, pull 15 different things out of it, look at it tomorrow and pull 30. Day after that, pull 5. Day after that, pull 45. They're all based on a set standard of rules. And a lot of time with alchemy, and what we'll see is a lot of religious men and women practice alchemy, even though the church itself viewed it to be heretical. Now, there was a pope, uh, and I don't remember his name right off the bat, but there was a pope way back in in, uh, in older days that um, supposedly had financed several people to try to find the, uh, the Philosopher's Stone and try to solve the alchemy thing. Um, it, I don't remember if it was something that he, he wanted to debunk, and that's why he hired people to do it, to show that it was impossible, or if it was something that he was kind of like, no, I really want to know because then maybe we can work this into into what we're doing. Maybe this is a, a religious thing at the same time and we just don't know about it yet. So, but uh, it has been looked at very seriously by a lot a lot of people over the years. Um, part of it is because um, the uh, the spiritual aspect for it talks a lot about self improvement, which is something that everybody really can get into. So. Um, it was really big on that kind of thing, and and so it became really popular among uh, among nobles, and uh, and people of the day. So of course, if you're going to be a part of a large um, multiple multiple country religious organization of the time, you've got like the Inquisition and all this other kind of stuff going on. Then you want to cement some of that kind of power for yourself. So, super interested in it. And what I'm curious to know is what the philosopher's stone actually is. Now, if we see the alchemical pictures that I speak of that describe this thing, it's an egg. It's usually an egg shape. There's not too many things that it's that it tends to be in, in, in terms of pictures, but this egg shape, meaning when you think of an egg, I, I think a lot of people think life. And the key concept of alchemy or the philosopher's stone is prolonging one's life. Now, whether that be a spiritual life, a physical life, is up for debate, obviously because some say the Philosopher's Stone was also the elixir of life, meaning that you had to take it, you ingested it. Now, whether that was an ingestion through the mind or through the, you know, the, the, the mouth, it's up for debate. But the key thing about the Philosopher's Stone is it's the most symbolic thing of all alchemy. It's what people studied years and years after the death of uh, Flamo, there was other people who, who trashed his homes, went through his whole entire works. There was even a cardinal who sent people out, and this may be who, who Spider's talking about here, 
sent people out to, to form those other homes and had them ransacked, couldn't find anything. The man expected to learn these alchemical secrets in one sitting, but Flemmel had studied these things for 21 years before he got the exact science of how to create the Philosopher's Stone. And in his book, he details how to make it, but he doesn't give you step-by-step -step instructions for a layman. It's something that you have to already have an alchemical mind to reproduce. So whether that is the a physical thing or a mental or, or a spiritual thing, it's up for, like I said, debate. You know, since, since neither Spider or I know how to make the Philosopher's Stone. I have never created it. I don't think Spider has ever created it. Well, not I've to our knowledge. It. I mean, considering that it's a philosophical concept, I mean, it, how enlightened do you feel today? <laughs> I mean, if you feel pretty good, maybe you have found it and you just didn't know it. And maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's that simple. But at the same time, you know, there there has to be so there has to be some rooted truth because there it is stated that lead was turned to gold. Now, since nobody can do that now, we don't know if it's the lead of the of the of a hard-hearted man because, and this this is key here, when we talk about a lot of the old world things, it's always going to point to gold with a lot of things because gold is thought to be the purest metal. In Arabic alchemy, gold was thought to be the, the most pristine thing of all over all metals. That's why it was praised so highly. And that's why today, if you see uh, conductors or, or semiconductors, a lot of those are, are, are gold-plated or, or you know, gold-infused uh, because gold is a, is a precious metal. And if we look to, to people like Zachariah Sitchin, it was thought that these uh, the, the Anunnaki set people down to actually mine for gold and we were the ones who were mining for it and that's a whole other topic you can actually go back and listen to our very first episode on ancient aliens and mm -hmm. i do believe we just that a little bit more i'm sure we'll probably get back to it at a later date but jumping back into alchemy here gold will always be what you are attaining for and that doesn't necessarily mean a pure metal it means gold way of heart gold way of thinking a pure you luster <laughs> yes but not lusting. Well, right, right. And, and that's that's something that alch alchemists alchemists touch on is luck. You know, there's a Flamel uh, talks in his in his book, and I was just reading it today actually, and he's talking about there's a difference between a man who seeks after the gold for for pure righteous purposes. And Flamel was was a pretty good dude. He him and his wife gave him a lot of charities. They built churches. They repaired churches. They built cemeteries, repaired cemeteries, repaired homes. They did a lot of work with the poor, but you never hear about them going nuts with their money. They didn't, they, you know, his wife came into the marriage from two previous marriages with money. Now, some people will argue that Flamel had created this gold from, from lead or from whatever base metal that he used, and that's how they got their riches. Now, some people will say it was because his wife had brought money into the relationship, so they were able to do well. He was only a simple scribe. You know, he did a lot of work with, with helping people in bookstores and things of that nature, keeping records, tabs. So whether he did this or not, there was still the question and concepts there for him. And some people say he wasn't so much of an alchemist, but if you look at his tomb, and just to give you guys kind of a date here, he was born around 1340 and died in 1418. So, if you go to Paris, 
you can see his tombstone. It's it's been kind of beat up. He designed his own tombstone. I just want to let everybody out there know that he designed it himself with alchemical symbols on it. And some people have said, well, he wasn't he wasn't really into alchemy, but if you look at the tombstone itself, and I've seen it, not personally been to France to see it, but I've seen it redrawn online. And there's definitely some alchemical ideas and concepts hidden in that tombstone. And the thing is with alchemy, you have to have the mind for it. If you don't have the mind for it, it's just going to look like a bunch of... It's going to look weird. You're going to be like, dude, this dude is probably might have drank the, the water or he got mercury poisoning. That's another thing we're going to talk about. So he made this jargon up. But then when you read his works, it kind of fits. And I don't understand it all because I just started reading this not too long ago. But it's fascinating. And like I said, you can pick up the book of the hieroglyphic figures pretty much online. Uh, there's PDFs flying, floating around everywhere. Uh, that's how I got mine. And if you're in the, this Uncanny Earth group, I actually uploaded a PDF format of it today. Um, I believe it, it's actually the exposition of the hieroglyphic figures. So not to confuse anything, I want to be talking about hieroglyphic figures. And then you're like, well, this is nothing about alchemy. All this is is just a bunch of hieroglyphic figures. So <laughs> Diversify, diversify. Right. Join the group. I've got it uploaded. It's there. Download it. Read it. Pass it around. And we'll try to figure this philosopher's stone out together. Now, let's expand a little bit on the Philosopher's Stone itself. I know we've, we've been touching on it and talking about it and all kinds of things. But um, supposedly, uh, this particular thing, it's called, it's a legendary alchemical substance capable of turning base metals such as mercury into gold. Um, it's also called, again, the Elixir of Life. And uh, useful for rejuvenation and for achieving, al- or for re- uh, achieving immortality. It's the uh, central symbol of of the mystical terminology of alchemy. And uh, it symbolizes perfection at its finest, enlightenment, and heavenly bliss. Now, this is an interesting thing because this touches on um, what's called the magnum opus, which is a cornerstone of most modern, um, if you believe any of that kind of stuff, most modern uh, alchemical or or magical quote work. There's a lot of secret societies and not-so-secret societies that... uh, that get involved in in the magnum opus, and it's called the great work. So, anytime that you're you're talking to somebody about that kind of stuff, and you get into a discussion of the great work, that's supposed to be the long term goal of any of these societies. Personal power, personal whatever, is always supposed to be secondary to to accomplishing the great work for the greater good. Because that's what the point is. You're supposed to be able to find out what the secret is, and then slowly initiate other people into it, so that slowly you can initiate a, a number of really intelligent, influential people, which leads you into all kinds of conspiracy stuff about Illuminati, about uh, New World Order, that kind of stuff. So it's an interesting cornerstone to a lot of other modern things. And, you know, the alchemy is, is pretty much the, the concept of transmutation and the Philosopher's Stone being at the very heart of transmutation it is the key thing in all of alchemy and and people have said it is one thing people have said it is another thing like i said before it always appears as a shape of an egg and there's some some movies and such we'll talk about later that that, that show just that 
But the key thing about the Philosopher's Stone is it is almost a, 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 like a cure-all. It, is, it can turn base metals to gold. It can give you immortality. It can cure diseases. I mean, it pretty much can, can take care of you for as long as you have it. Um, a lot of times these guys, they, 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 they have it, but then something happens and they no longer have it. And to my knowledge, none of these guys have become immortal. Sir Isaac Newton is dead. Roger Bacon is dead. And Flammo is dead. So, they, so the immortality they're talking about, you have to wonder what price they might have paid. Because in alchemy, what we have to understand is that they, they go on a basis of equivalent exchange, meaning that you have to sacrifice something in order to gain something. And when creating the Philosopher's Stone, as I have read uh, Flammo's work, it's it's very detailed. There's a lot of if you, if if the mixture turns this color, you got to throw the whole thing away and start over again. And if this is something that takes six years to create, you're gonna you got to want to make sure you get it right the first time. A lot of people don't have six years to sit and, and work on a philosopher's stone. I guess times are different back then, but in this day and age. Especially with Spider and I having children, I don't think we could set up a laboratory in, in our homes. <laughs> Probably not. So, and there's a and there's a lot of fire to it. And there's a lot of mercury and sulfur and and, and the breakdown of that. <clears throat> Besides being a physical aspect, there is also the, the spiritual aspect of, of alchemy, and, and a lot of that is being keeping your mind clear on that on these concepts understanding that you know mercury and, and and all these other symbols are actually symbols of your body such as your soul or such as your physical being and taking care of those is is one of the the big things of alchemy you want to you want to nurture your spirit you want to nurture your physical body be healthy you don't want to go into alchemy a lazy slob because if you do you're not going to create the philosophy and you're just going to try it once and then that's going to be all. It's not going to work out for you. This is something that requires diligence. This is why so many famous scientists of, of that era were so into this thing. Because it was thought to be rejuvenation. It was thought to be reincarnation of the spirit. It wasn't meant to be something for, for, for just anybody, any Joe, Tom, and Derek out there to understand. It was something that you had to actually sit down and read it, study it, the pictures a lot of these men that we're talking about they actually purchased really old books from book vendors and they were scouring for other books so they hunted and hunted and hunted it's like today where you can go on your your google machine type in alchemic pictures and they're just going to show up they you know that's it's it's not that and and but today i think too we have a bigger speculation or we have a bigger um debunking process of alchemy i'm sure a lot of people don't really believe in alchemy or they don't care you know, nobody's rushing to the bookstore talking about, hey, you got all them out for me books? I don't see that many people in the bookstore. And I look, because I think I find alchemy to be a fascinating aspect of society, of life, of a spiritual existence. So, But, you know, my fault, I rambled a bit there. Oh, no, but good job. That's what we do here on the show. We kind of go yes. off on our, our tangents and we, we investigate this stuff. Um, one of the... Uh, let's give a little bit more history on the Philosopher's Stone here. Um, the first mention of it that that uh, is accepted so far as what we can find 
goes as far back as 300 AD in a book called Chirokmeta by Zosimos of Panopolis. Hey, old Zosimos died again. Um, now, people who write about alchemy assign it a longer history, and whether that's actually something that uh, that's verifiable or not, I'm I'm not sure. It's notable that um, that uh, this first Bezosmos is is particularly mentioned as being one of the first people to write about it, whereas other people are going like, "Well, no, we're the one." But uh, <laughs> until more historical stuff come out, I might take that as fact. But we'll see how it goes. Um, yes. Apparently, a man named Elias Ashmole and the anonymous author of a book called Gloria Mundi in 1620, they claimed, and again, this is where it's kind of like, I'm probably going to believe Zosimos, but the, they claimed that the history goes back to Adam, the first human who acquired the knowledge of the stone directly from God. Now, again, not to step on anybody's religious toes. I don't want to, we don't want to do that here on the show. We don't want to validate anything. There's just no written, there's no written um, accepted record of something like that occurring, of course. I mean, we've got biblical right. sources, we've got that kind of thing, and that's great. I, But again, as far as uh, scientific convention goes, we don't have anything beyond that that, that, that can corroborate that. So um, for now, this is a story. It's an interesting story, but, uh, but a story. And um, the knowledge was supposed to be passed down through the biblical patriarchs, giving them their longevity, which is an interesting point, though, because uh, the stone is supposed to give you eternal life, or at least long life, and um, if you read not only the uh, the the earlier books in in Genesis and Exodus where they have the genealogies, but also you read um, the Egyptian king lists, and then you read yes. the Sumerian king lists before that, you'll notice that several kings and leaders would reign for like thirty thousand years, and uh, and it would slowly go down until it was only like a couple hundred years, and then it was fifty years, and then it was oh he reigned for a day, and then he got his head cut off. So, um, which happened a lot sometimes. Oh, yes, a great but, deal. Um, <laughs> but you'll notice that there was these long longevities, and it's a, a sticking point for historians because we don't have, again, the right records to to verify one or the other about that. I mean, most common sense is going to tell you, well, nobody lives that long, but m- nobody today lives that long. Maybe somebody right. then did. Maybe things were different, or maybe we went around the sun at a different rate, so days were measured differently. It's there's all kinds of different theories as to why. Or um, maybe we weren't even living on this planet. It could be. It could have been a planet with a shorter time span. Uh, it could be a Martian day or a Martian year wow. or, or a Venus day or a Venus year. Um, we don't know. We have no real way of knowing. It's all speculation. Not. And we'll talk about that on on a future show mm-hmm. about where we could have come from, and we'll discuss all that. But like Spider said, the, you know, if you if you read the Sumerian Book of Kings. There's kings that lived like eighty five thousand years, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the next guy lived two days. Yeah, before he got stabbed in the gut. What happened to the dude that lived eighty five thousand years? I don't know about that guy. Not old stabs in the gut. <laughs> if you don't, <laughs> if you've only been a king for two days, you're not very good at it. I mean, no, you know, and and if you're listening, guy that got stabbed in the gut, that was a king for two days. I don't know how you're listening, but if you're listening from the metaphysical realm, you're a bad king. <laughs> Unless you're Count St. Germain and you just got tired of ruling after 85,000 years. I mean, Maybe. And then shout out to Count St. Germain once again. For faking a stab in the gut. I mean, goodness. <laughs> He's the Count. He, he right. can pull these shenanigans all day. And um, funny thing, I want, to, I want to say this real quick before we, before we continue. There's actually a Count St. Germain musician 
he does uh, kind of, let me think, I'm trying to feel what kind of music he does. It's almost like a, a progressive house sort of thing, but it, he does a lot of different music. But I, when I first saw that, years and years ago, this has been years since I've seen that, I'm like, oh, he got it from that guy. Or is he actually Count St. Germain? So Count St. Germain's making music now, folks. It could be. There's many imposters, but there might be the real thing. It's hard to say. Making music, making <laughs> making music on uh, on the Isle of uh, uh, what is it? Everybody goes to it, like Ibis or, or the Ibiza, making music in, in mm-hmm. Ibiza. So I don't, I don't know anything about it. Never been there, <laughs> but if any uh, listener wants to fly us out there, we'll we'll get to the bottom of the Count Saint Germain mystery. That's right, but only if you let us drive a car like in Forza Horizon. <laughs> That'll be fantastic. I, I want to drive the Aventador. So just that's that's for you know I mean it has an Aventador that they don't that they wouldn't mind letting us drive. Hey, we're talking mm. to you, Jay Leno. We know you got a million acre place of of cars. Let us drive one, just one. Now, um, now when you were talking about the the alchemical symbols, did you describe the philosopher's stone, uh, the actual symbol, which should be the egg? A lot of time, the philosopher's stone is 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 shown to be an, like an egg. Mm shape which would mean one of two things either it's the symbol of life or it's the symbol of pre-birth because that's what you would think of an egg hmm. it's pre-birth because nobody that hasn't the, the it hasn't come out yet the being inside of it hasn't come out yet so pre-birth or life i mean there's probably you know I, like i said when it comes to alchemic symbols and this is something I've, I've only probably studied this stuff for maybe two or three years so I'm not hmm. Nicholas Flamel. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, Are oh, you yes. sure? You look really flamelic. <laughs> Is that an insult? Flamiliar. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, bad jokes aside. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the reason I ask is because um, um, we've got that. We've got the. There's two classical symbols that symbolize the work of the philosopher's stone. We've got the the egg symbol, which is the the yep. ovoid kind of thing, and you also have um, the squared circle. Uh, the squared circle is not the WWE wrestler ring, which it could be, uh, but it's not. I want to see the Macho Man yeah, <laughs> performing some alchemy. Right here, right. Um, got the philosopher's stone. Yeah, what's the piece to Moon Jean Okerlund? Oh yeah, we'll throw that out there. I mean, for anybody who's wrestling fans, we are ourselves. So yes, we don't talk about it too much on the show because that's really not a whole lot to do with uh, with uh, being <laughs> with uncanny. uncanny on the but earth, um, so. still, um, but the the squared circle in alchemy is a a circle inside of a square, inside of a triangle, inside of another yes. circle, and all the angles are perfectly connected. There's no overlap, and it's supposed to illustrate the interplay of the four elements. Which is the four elements of matter, which is supposed to symbolize also the philosopher's stone. So that's the alternative symbol. There's there's that and the uh, the ovoid that tend to be now, the most. Now I thought I thought what you were what that was is the mixtures with the stone itself, like the mixtures to create the stone, being the mixtures sit on the outside, and then the circle that sits in the middle is the actual stone, and everything that rotates around it is the actual mixtures, like the, the chemical mixtures that it takes to create the philosopher's stone, meaning that you take the outside, pour it into the inside to create that philosopher's stone. That's what I thought that was. It's a good interpretation. I mean, it, all these symbols, there's no concrete, this is what this symbolizes anymore. Right. We don't have handbooks for that anymore. All this stuff, when it was written, just like when you talked about uh, alchemical symbols, you're supposed to kind of like figure them out yourself. 
that's how these things were written. They weren't written with yep. as concrete instructions. You do this, you do this, you do this, boom, you've got lead and gold. It was all supposed to be, you have to follow this, you have to follow this, and you have to follow this, and then perhaps on the moon of whatever. You're supposed to interpret that right. in your own fashion, and it's up to you doing it that's supposed to interpret it correctly. If you do it well, wrong, then, that's on you. That's not the person who wrote right. it. Which in is interesting, work, because it shows that, uh, not to cut you off too much there. No, not to cut you off either. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting, because <laughs> right. it, it kind of absolves any of the writers from writing anything that might have been utter, you know, uh, just garbage, because they could always just say, well, um, you must have done it wrong. <laughs> right. And believe it or not, a lot of people got killed for that. Mm-hmm. For, because, you know, the big thing after alchemy gained a lot of uh, tension and, and ground, people came out of the woodwork and told these, these kings that, yeah, I can do that, man. Just kick me down some dollars and uh, let me have some stuff. and I'll, I'll do it. And painted and some, some of, lead with some gold paint. Yes. And then a lot of them, and this is funny, this is what I find to be kind of kind of ironic a bit. They were actually hung from gallows. That's not the ironic part. That they draped gold and things around the gallows and then hung these people. Ugh, so I guess the gallows got turned to gold. But going back into what Spider was saying about getting it right... When you read the works of Flamel or some of these other folks that, that give you instructions how to make the stone itself, it's a detailed process. In one of the readings that I was focusing on today, he goes into detail about have to, how you have to do it at the time of Aries was the beginning. And then, yeah, that's that, I think that's right. That's that's the, the, the Zodiac Aries. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to make sure I got that right. And then Aries, and I believe it goes all the way to Capricorn or Cancer. It it goes through, I think, six different zodiac symbols. And when I was looking up the months, it was like March to January because Capricorn ends January 23rd, I believe. I, I, I apologize, folks. I'm not real big in, in, in astrological information at this point. Maybe in a future show, I'll do a little more reading and, and study it, but... You had to do certain things in these certain months. And the thing is, you know, the, the hard part about that would be the, t- the, the, the temperature there. Like, say, you know, if you're working in Greece or you're working in, in say, France or Spain or, or any of these places where alchemy tended to be a really big issue or a concept. The weather's not going to be the same there that it is here. So are they going off temperatures? Because a lot of the time in these works, like in, in, in Flemmel's work, he talks about, you know, you got to heat this. But then don't heat this and make sure these two things come together. If this thing turns red, you've botched it. You have to go back to the beginning and start over again. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you have to wait again until the next cycle in terms of moon? Because a lot of times they will go on those moon cycles because moon cycles to them meant, okay, we have to do this by this moon. And they measured it out. So you have to add the mercury to the sulfur and mix them together, but then add this extra ingredient in cancer. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the thing with alchemy. And and like Spider was saying, the authors did it in a way that absolved them of of blame. They they were able to be like, hey, do this, but only do it then. But we're not going to tell you what ingredient to use, but mercury. That's it. This other thing, because in, in Flemmel's work, it talks about the blood of an infant. 
but he never actually uses the blood of an infant. So the blood of an infant is symbolic for something else. So you probably had people frantically running around the market looking for something that would resemble closely the blood of an infant and then going home and putting that in the fire or whatever they used and then blowing their house up. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure that many people, many people botched things. I mean, Sir Isaac Newton dabbled in alchemy so much the guy got mercury poisoning and there's letters he wrote to friends saying I'm never going to talk to you again because you did this to me and they would write back Isaac we didn't do any of that to you what are you talking about and he came out of that mercury poisoning or that mercury sickness because these guys handled it they tasted it they put it on their skin to see what the, what the reaction would be so yeah I, I can guarantee you some of these people got mercury poisoning and probably died. Isaac Newton was lucky he didn't. And it, it seems like he stopped after he got that mercury poisoning because he came back to normal a few uh, uh, some some time later. So mm. just just beware when you're working with alchemy or you're working with with alchemical things. Know what you're doing. Take your 21 years and study these images and study <laughs> these texts because we don't want you, we don't want to hear about oh man I heard those. Those uncanny boys, man. Oh, I, I got to get home and doing some doing some home alchemy. <laughs> These days, too, it also pays to know some basic chemistry as well. Because yes. remember, they're intertwined. And if you already yes. know, <clears throat> if you already know elements um, from modern day chemistry that aren't supposed to be mixed, that are really dangerous, then you're going to have a good grasp of things when you go into alchemy. It's one of those yes. things where you have to learn the basics and then forget all of the uh, the hang up the logical stuff. And then just focus on the philosophical. Now, one thing, one creation I find to be to be rather um, odd, and I, I can't remember the name of him, the, the guy who created it. But if anybody wants to to look this up later on, he created what is known as a homunculus. Now, if anybody wants to know what a homunculus is, it's a human being without a soul, and they aren't very tall. They're usually maybe maybe a foot if that in some instances but it said that he created a homunculus from sulfur mercury a couple other things probably the different things the human body is made out of but he it didn't have a soul but you could treat it like a human being and what i found to be funny is he he basically destroyed it because he felt bad for creating it but he gave the the, the recipe out to, to other people to try to create homunculus or homunculi i would say and they tried, and some people succeeded, but nobody ever actually saw the homunculus. They only heard that people had homunculi, and so that's that, that's just an interesting point of alchemy. You know, how do you create a little human without? Mm. I think most of our our listeners know how a human being is created. <laughs> we're not in the I'm nature of explaining how gonna, babies are made, but <laughs> I'm um, not gonna, I'm apart not from the obvious that. traditional method. <laughs> and and I'll I'll look up the uh, this guy's name on, on while we're on break, so I'll let Spider go ahead and, and take us to to his next what what he wanted to finish out the hour with. Uh, well, just a little bit more of the timeline. Um, the uh, the first theoretical roots outlining outlining the uh, the philosopher's stone creation are usually traced to Greek philosophy, and they later used uh, modern alchemists after that would later use the classical elements and the concept of uh, of anima mundi. Which is just a quick explanation, um, an intrinsic connection between all living things on the planet, 
and uh, and it basically refers to everything in existence having some kind of a soul, which is also interesting because it kind of works around with quantum mechanics and uh, and string theory. But we're not going to touch on that today. I'm just going to get that stuck in your mind so that maybe you'll do some extra research. Be like, what spider said this strange thing? I'm going to go look it up. You do that. Um, no, really, you go do that. Just not right now. Listen to the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, later. but the anima mundi and. Um, they, uh, according to Plato, the four elements, earth, wind, air, and fire, are derived from a common source called prima materia, the first matter associated with chaos. And um, they decided that this prima materia was their first ingredient for the creation of the Philosopher's Stone. This kind of gives you an idea on the philosophical uh, outlook of things, because... Um, Earth, wind, air, and fire also correspond uh, to astrological signs and things of that nature. So they they ascribed that to various qualities that you had to become or you had to learn. So it, again, it touches on how you had to be not just trying to create this physical stone, but to create gold within yourself. Um, and that continued on through the Middle Ages in the Byzantine Empire, which is, of course... Um, when they began in earnest to build off the work of Zosimus and uh, the Arabs. The Arabs also built a lot on the first Philosopher's Stone because um, at this point in time in the Middle Ages, before the Crusades and before a lot of that kind of stuff happened um, and kind of wrecked everything for years and years after for everybody, I'm not blaming either side, I'm saying the whole events on both sides of, of, of all that just kind of like... We've never really recovered from that kind of thing, but um, the Arab world at the time had tons of scientists. They were they were really huge on math, on mathematics, on geometry, all kinds of things. Um, in the Western world, we had uh, we had a lot of the overzealous kind of forms of Christianity move in, and Catholicism and things like that, and uh, and set us back on our knowledge for quite a ways. In the the Arab world, they had early Islam and things like that, which, again, I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad for anybody who's starting to be like, what are you saying? They don't know scientists anymore. <laughs> I'm just saying at the time, they weren't focused I'm on angry. science. They were focused on warfare and spiritual things, and, and you know, the whole dynamic shifted. And, uh, and, and the world... Of... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The world's kind of moved in that same direction ever since. We've still been stuck on... Um, Western religion versus Eastern religion just being the end-all, be-all of everything, and we've kind of lost a lot of our our state-sponsored science that isn't politically motivated. So that is and, a shame. And war has definitely caused a lot of archaeological sites to be permanently destroyed, books to be burned. I, I What I wouldn't give to, to see what was in the Library of Alexandria or half the books that Hitler had burned in the, in the Nazi era because a lot of any, anything that had related to magic or occultism was burned in, mm-hmm. in, in uh, Nazi Germany, even though, as we discussed, I believe it was last show, when we talked about Nazis and then the whole concept of the occult. But a lot of those books were burned by Hitler himself. And I want to take a second because I did look it up just a second ago. It was, the man's name was Philip von Honheim, also known as Paracelsius. Ah, and Paracelsus. his recipe, his recipe for creating the homunculus, uh, is going to be a little graphic. It's not, it's not anything too serious, but it uses a horse as the surrogate mother of the homunculus, and the sperm of a man is left inside the animal's womb to putrefy for forty days before a little man is born. Now, disclaimer. Don't anybody go out and do this. If you do, <laughs> you're an idiot. 
It's also illegal in many, many states here in the United States and and probably in other parts of the world. But Paracelsius, (laughs) I knew as soon as I saw the name because he had a weird name. That's how I remembered that that aspect. But the homunculus is another offset of alchemy. It's another concept that alchemy, uh, that that some alchemists were, were into. Not all, but some. So I just wanted to kind of put that in there so people could be like, hey, that dude used sperm and horse inside. That's a little gross. <laughs> but folks, the thing is, is it's history. It, you know, and history isn't always a beautiful thing. So just remember that. History sometimes is gross and disgusting. And I believe that takes us to our first break. I believe it does, too. Um, let me... Let me get that loaded up for our, our, our little radio spot in between. Um, as everybody knows, we don't do, uh, we're always going to be ad free here on, the, on uh, this Uncanny Earth. Pretty soon, we're going to be working in earnest to try to, um, to, try to uh, acquire sponsors and things like that, like a, for a public radio kind of thing, because that's what we are. This is all public radio. Let's talk about the network. Let's talk about the radio. Uh, oh, man. If I can say it right. The Let's Talk About the Music Radio Network. I haven't had to say it in like three weeks, so I'm kind of like, ah, da, da, da. Um, it's it's basically public radio. It's nonprofit. There, there's not corporate advertisements. We're not funded by by corporate interests and things, and that extends to this uncanny earth as long, for as long as we're on the network and et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to be working on sponsorships, that kind of thing. I don't want to bore you with all that kind of stuff, so I'm not getting into it too much. But later on, you may start hearing some various sponsorship things, like uh, if we get a sponsorship by. Joe's Tire Shop, because Joe is a buddy of ours. We might talk about how he's a small business and things like that, but we're not going to go and be like, Joe's Tires are the best tires I've ever used, because... I've got Joe's Tires on my car right now, and they're trash. Because we've never been... We don't don't get bought that way. We'll talk about our sponsors in a positive way, because we want to, because they're they're helping keep us on the air, but we're not going to go out and be like... Jane's cakes are absolutely divine. I'm eating one, and it's just so delicious. And when it's actually garbage, not to say that Jane's beer. cakes are garbage. So sorry, Jane. I don't want to infer that. But um, cakes are garbage. Yeah. <laughs> just so everybody knows, if you start hearing that kind of stuff, don't worry. We've not sold out. We're not sellouts like some other people that we could mention. Nope. That we won't. We won't mention them. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably even too far right there. That's okay. Um, Oh, man. But uh, in the meantime, the only one we got is uh, talking about the shows on the station that you hear now pretty much every week halfway through the show. So here you go. Listen to me talk with some tunes, and then we'll be back in about a minute and a half. Don't go anywhere. everybody it's your good friend spider from let's talk about the music radio network here to tell you about all the quality content that we have for you to listen to every week on wednesday night at 11 p.m eastern time 8 pacific it's the let's talk about the music radio show it's our flagship show it sets the cornerstone of the whole network we talk to a wide range of industry professionals in the entertainment business and we get their opinions on all kinds of things controversial or otherwise tune in On Thursday nights, it's the brand new This Uncanny Earth, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific, where we talk about a wide variety of paranormal experiences, paranormal instances, and anything else that ends with the... (laughs) You knew it would have a stinky joke in there somewhere. So tune into that with me and my good buddy Rob every week. Get to the chat room, get to the Facebook group, This Uncanny Earth Official, and let's hear your opinions. 
on Friday nights every week, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. You have the Dirty Rotten Weekend with me, and I'm going to be playing the best underground indie music for you, uncensored, unfiltered, commercial-free for a couple hours for your listening pleasure. And that's what we got. Tune in every week and listen on demand on a wide variety of streaming services. I look forward to seeing you in the chat room. Did you miss us? Because we're back. Hey, here we are. <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't leave. We were still here. Well, we I stepped listening. out for a smoke and six burgers, and man, am I tired. Miss my cholesterol a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking about alchemy. We've been talking about all kinds of the fun stuff of alchemy. And we, would, we talked even about how homunculus is made. And so that's that was that was fun. That was a fun time in humanity. It was a total blast. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Anyways, enough of that mess. Let's get into some. Uh... Well, Spider, did you want to keep talking about the philosopher stone, or because I'll let's gonna interview it. We're gonna we're gonna go into some pop culture and then we'll go from there. And if we have to drift back into the actual like serious talk, we can do that because we got it's it's our show. What are, we, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna kick us off? Nah. They gonna fire us? Nah. Well, they might fire me because I don't know. I always get fired. But, always. That it's a running gag. He gets men in fired. black are gonna punch down the door and be like, "You're fired." But oh, it's gonna you, be Vince. You don't want me to come with you or anything? No, we're, you're not coming with us. You're just fired. We don't want you anywhere near us. Go away. Yeah. It's gonna be Vince McMahon though walking in. You're fired. <laughs> and you're gonna be like, "From what?" And then Alex Jones money in the like, bank. I didn't have any money in the bank. Oh man. I did want to kind of interject something before we jump pop culture into the pop culture zone. Hmm. Pop culture zone on this uncanny earth. Oh, there we go. <laughs> the book that there seems to be a universal book that people get their ideas from, whether that's the Emerald Tablet, which would maybe the the precursor to this said book, because it seems like this book has been passed around quite a bit. Flemmel. And we keep bringing that guy up. He had the book, or he he had bought the book. And it's not the book that I'm talking about with the, the hieroglyphs. It's something else. This was actually a book that the uh, Abraham the Jew supposedly had this book, or Abraham the Mage, too, it can be called. And let me just say, that when, we say when we say the Jew, or when we say Jewish, we don't mean it in a derogatory term. That's just historically what they called him. And he, usually he was a Jewish meant, guy, and he, that was kind of one of his titles, too. He was well-known. And a lot of the time, when they, when they say such and such to Jew, it's a person who converted over to Catholicism or Christianity from Judaism. So a lot of the time, they would call them the Jew because that was, that was what they were from, or that was their heritage. It wasn't, it wasn't a uh, Nazi Germany-style disrespect, term of disrespect. It was just saying, hey, that dude was a Jew, so that's, you know, you know, John the Jew. So it, it, you have to take it with the times. You know, today, mm. I take, take that as being, oh, that's a little a little disrespectful. But back then, it wasn't. It was just a different term of, of that person. So Abraham the Jew, or the mage, as he's also known, wrote this book. And it seems as if every single big-name alchemist person, Bacon, Flemmel, Newton, 
somehow got a copy of this book. But how they got the copy of the book is the funny part about it. It just kind of seems to slip into these people's hands. And this book is supposedly still around, but nobody found it. It was lost after, and I am probably going to butcher this guy's name, Richelieu was a cardinal, like we talked about a little bit ago, if you all were listening. He's the one who tried to understand the book Secrets, but he didn't want to take the time to understand it. He just probably studied it for like a couple days. It said he had his own laboratory, and then he would go in there to study it. But if your mind is corrupt, and I think that is another key concept of alchemy that we, that we might have overlooked, or maybe we didn't really get into it. There's not too many people here that were that were corrupted in terms of the alchemical process. It's like mm. they had a heart. They had they had the, the mindset of being like, well, yeah, we're going to turn lead to gold, but at the same time, this gold isn't to be used greedily. It's used to help, and whether that's money or whether that's giving of yourself is a, is a whole other discussion. But we see that people who are corrupt, like this Cardinal or like some of these other guys, like this guy Dubois, who was a descendant of Flemel, he tried to understand. He couldn't. He had the, the Philosopher's Stone. It was never said that he made it, but somehow he had the, the extracts, whether he got it from somebody before him, such as uh, Perrier, which was uh, the, the, the nephew of Flemel. Who got who got all of Flamel's stuff after Flamel had passed away? He got his books, his notes, probably all of his his his, his things, his furnace, that sort of thing. So he might have made it, and then somehow was kind of sitting there. Uh, I don't know how removed Dubois was from uh, Perrier. So somebody knows, let us know in the comments. Mm-hmm. But it, this book is the key to understanding the alchemical concepts. But you have to actually be of a a pure mind to be able to grasp the concepts in the book because I, I have yet to really stumble across anyone who was who misused it and I don't know if Spider had come across anybody that misused it but I've yet to see a person discussed that was able to fully understand the alchemical texts the words everything else and be a tyrant because I think if that were yeah there are no uh, there are no alchemy villains by the look yes. of it. Anybody who was trying to use it for fraudulent purposes usually are people who didn't understand it, who made fake gold, and uh, they're not really remembered very much. Um, no. There might be a few throughout history that are known con men, but um, beyond that, there's not very many that uh, that are really well known as being of any importance, and so uh, most of them were probably executed, honestly. And most of them were. Anybody caught lying about being able to turn lead to gold was primarily executed, usually on the spot. They didn't have enough time to get away. As soon as they figured out they were charlatans, they were snatched up, thrown on the gallows, hung. So and then that and you know that makes sense. You know, you, you you try to fraud a king, your head's gonna be on a pike. It's just the way things go back then. Nowadays nobody will believe you because the system of alchemy, while it still exists in in chemistry, we see it all the time in, in, in chemical equations and, and chemical reactions it doesn't hold the same weight that it did back then because mm. a lot of people have gone to a secular society so they don't dwell too much on the spiritual aspect of alchemy they just think oh i see chemistry i don't see the the philosopher's stone that's not a real thing and if it was it, it was more of a spiritual aspect there it wasn't real 
So not too many people outside of, of people that are really into alchemy or that study the, the science itself are really going to be too much into it. So alchemy has pretty much lost a lot of its steam. And I think that's because, like Spider said, we've become more warlike than we have enlightenment-like. You know, and that goes for the Islamic world, that goes for the Christian world, that goes for all the worlds that we see today. There's more wars going around than enlightenments, and I think that's a, that's a problem. And, you know, I'm not going to get on a soapbox here and, and talk to you folks about it. And you got to do this, and you better drive a Prius you better drive a, a electric car because if not, then Al Gore is going to come and get you in your sleep. I just think we have to kind of go back to an enlightenment style era and really start studying these, these concepts and these, these things because <clears throat> alchemy is, is a really cool topic and a concept and, and a system of beliefs and ideas. Once you get into it, at first you're like, oh, lead into gold. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but once you see it's broken down even further than that, it starts to become a really amazing concept and amazing way to, to kind of understand the way our lives are intertwined with the natural ideas of, of nature. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's interesting how, how a lot of this stuff is depicted and a lot of people carry these ideas forward. Um, we're going to get into some various pop culture things and there's, there's, um, it, there's less about specifically about the classical view of alchemy, and there's more on uh, on different interpretations of it um, in games, in uh, in music. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind for me is actually completely unrelated to the actual subject of of the philosopher's stone, but it's a band called Lead Into Gold, and uh, I'm I'm kind of an old style industrial guy, so they're basically old school industrial music, and um, What's interesting is that their content really has nothing to do with the subject matter. Uh, they they have members of ministry and a few other um, really decidedly not realistic or not realistic not religious uh, musical people. So um, it's just interesting that they used it as a name. So it's kind of recognizable, but not something that you'd be looking for if you actually want to listen to music about alchemy. <laughs> and I don't know who who Spider's talking about in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, most people wouldn't. Most people won't. They even have new music out now. They've been around for years and years and years. But uh, again, niche industrial music. Outside of me and a small circle of people, everybody else is going to be like, uh, what, should I go check them out? Uh, maybe. You might maybe. like them. <laughs> I might listen to them. I might not like them. I might like them. I don't know. Now, moving on from Spider's... Little known group, at least Who to me. those guys again? I forgot like already. I <laughs> like I said, and that's just me. I don't know who they are. All right, and and I'm not a big industrial guy. You know, I know what you guys are thinking. Wow, how do you guys get along? Not liking, you know, not liking the same music. We just do. Just fits. <laughs> Deltron, obviously. Deltron, Deltron. And <laughs> that's Dr. the connective tissue. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, a group that everybody knows, and if you don't know them. And I don't think you know music very well. And that is one of my favorite bands of all time, Pink Floyd, which I think Spider knows all mm -hmm. too well. Mm -hmm. They had an album, and it, it's a classic. I, I enjoyed the album. It is the 1968 A Saucer Full of Secrets. Now, it's not a, you know, it's not a straight-up alchemy 
album. It's not just straight up, you know, they're not every song is talking about the philosopher stuff. Because I'm sure you can make a, a group and put music together and the whole thing just be about creating the philosopher stone. And then it would take you 21 years because you have to listen to it over and over. Well, 21 year tour. <laughs> Every year they do a different picture. But if anybody, I've I put up the album cover here and I'll probably post it in the group whenever I get a chance. It's very alchemical in that there's different symbols. You can see planets going into different cycles. You can see sort of a, a, a what looks like to be I don't, I don't know what these are. Calcinators. I mean, if that's, I think that's what they call them. The, the basic things that they use in chemistry, the glass vials and things of that nature. I'm not a chemist, everybody out there. So, you know, if you were putting all your bucks on me being a chemist, you just lost a lot of money. Oh, man, Sorry. there goes my Vegas pool. <laughs> but anybody that knows Pink Floyd, they this album is from 1968. It's not one of their more well-known albums. It's not Dark Side of the Moon or The Wall. It, it predates those. Good album. Very, um, very, it's very older Pink Floyd. And if, if anybody listens to Pink Floyd, like Spider and I do, you know that they there's a certain time that they change their style. And most, all their albums are pretty much different sounding. So you're going to hear this one. I definitely recommend picking it up or going to YouTube, listen to it, put your headphones on and kind of, Kind of just, you know, sit there and, and, and enjoy it. Just like you would any Pink Floyd album. You know, they're very they're very well done. They're always um, produced correctly. And it's just good stuff. And I want to say that the, the side two, which is which is some of the, the best part about it, is a series of instrumentals. And the, the first track is called A Saucer Full of Secrets. But then the next one is something else. Syncopated... Pandemonium, Storm Signal, and Celestial Voices. Now, these are all just the same part of the song, just broken down in different formats. But, you know, sit down, listen to it. I just thought those those titles were very alchemic in nature. They just kind of sound like, oh, man, they're practicing alchemy. So, mm-hmm. And maybe that's how they got so famous. They found the Philosopher's Stone. So, pick it up. Such full secrets, Pink Floyd. Pop culture music. Now, um, I'm going to pull up the article for Alchemy in Art and Entertainment to try to give you guys an, an idea on uh, on where this kind of stuff is at. Um, I'm going to talk about... Uh, there's a series of games, of course, um, that use alchemy as a subject. And uh, it's not like a, the main central part of it, but it's something that you can do. And when they talk about alchemy in um, in these games, generally it's more like ancient chemistry, like combining herbs and combining things into into magical potions and things of that nature. Um, so it, it's similar and kind of not similar at the same time. Are you talking about Call of Duty? <laughs> Call of Duty, sure. They're all kinds of alchemy. The alchemy with Call of Duty is manufacturing the same game for 20 years and getting people to buy it every time. <laughs> oh man, low blow. A little bit, a little bit of sass here on this one. Oh man, you sorry, should, you Call should of have Duty. Your own show called this uncanny sass. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sorry, but um, the of course the uh, franchise I was discussing would be uh, the Elder Scrolls franchise, where in order to craft your own potions and things like that, you use the alchemy skill. And generally, you have to gather plants, materials, minerals, all these kind of things, and mix them in various ways. There's a lot of recipes for things that are that are common, like making uh, healing potions if you get attacked 
by a monster or something like that. Um, but there's also a few that are um, that are uh, that you can just mix stuff together and see what happens. And sometimes you can make some really crazy things, uh, which is an example of what would really happen if you if you mixed up some random elements together. Some of the things that you can make in the latest Elder Scrolls um, iteration, which would be uh, Skyrim, is you can create potions that uh, that heal you for 12 points of damage, but uh, but they drain you 45 points of personality, which your personality, of course, is, is how you're able to speak with people in the game and, and get good prices for merchants. So you can get some health back, but you're going to be slack-jawed yokel for about an hour. Oh, that's like when you drink beer. Yeah, it's pretty close. Right. It's like uh, it might be like tequila. You might uh, you might threaten some people. Yeah, but, that um, might happen. <laughs> <laughs> Not to name any names or point any fingers. But, Not today, um, Satan. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you can come up with some crazy things, and that will really happen if you play around with, with uh, chemistry. Although the results the results will be a lot more dramatic and probably a you lot might more dangerous. That's true. Um, that's how people make methamphetamines these days, honestly. <laughs> they throw a bunch of stuff together that's not very good for you to begin with and make it even worse for you, but you feel good while you're taking it. So, oh, so Brick Bad <laughs> is basically just alchemy. It's just a show about alchemy. Nice. That's right. It's just, uh, yeah, that's what you should not use your alchemy for, by the way. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't just mess with your alchemy powers. Um... Uh. Uh, and of course, there's uh, there's there's other games that uh, that deal with alchemy to certain certain expect. Pretty much the same kind of thing. Um, Kingdoms of Amalar is one of them, uh, and a role playing game. A lot of these are going to be fantasy role playing for the most part. There's not very many that are going to be more um, more uh, really modern. Um, the subject comes up in modern games, like some of the Tomb Raider games and things like that, but not as something that you do specifically, more as something that you learn about from past histories, things of that nature. Um, well, and, uh, yeah, so those are some games. Uh, Elder Scrolls games are great, by all means, if you want to dig into them. Um, Elder Scrolls Online is a little bit different. They're not created by the same exact studio people as the uh, the, the episodic games. So jump into that at your own risk. It's an online-only kind of thing where you play with a bunch of other players all over the place. So if you're into the online thing, go ahead. If not, it's going to be a little bit different from the, the single-player stuff. So just know what you're getting into. Now, my game choice is my favorite series of all time. And if anybody knows me, they know that it is definitely Castlevania. Yes, Castlevania. I know. I know a lot of you thought... Oh, he's going to say Madden. But no, you're wrong. <laughs> How do you play Madden? Why would you even say that? That's the alchemic... The alchemic oh, man, I'm just having trouble yeah, with it. The alchemy break. of uh, Cleveland winning games this year. Oh, I'm a Saints fan, so I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, a, I'm moderately Cleveland, so you know I might as well be allowed to say that. <laughs> but yes, Castlevania. And one of the games I'm playing right now, which I will continue to play every year for the rest of my life, is Symphony of the Night. Yes, I will bring that up quite often and probably a lot of things that we talk about on this show because it is the best game of all time. And if anybody has a problem with that, you can write me a stern letter and I'll write you one back with reasoning why it is the best game ever. So get ready for a, a writing battle, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, I was, actually, I've was i actually been playing it uh, as the Richter character, and that's, that's a character you can unlock by 
beating it first with Alucard, who was Dracula's son. And you're running through the castle trying to get your dad. He's got some daddy issues going on. So <laughs> but <clears throat> there's a lot of symbology in that game. And there's one that, that shows, the, once you get to where you're, you, you have to fight the, I believe it's the last part. No, I'm sorry. It is in a part where you fight Beelzebub. And in that game, Beelzebub is this rotting carcass of a man who's who's hung up by hooks. He's basically chained by hooks, and they're going through his flesh, and he emits these bees that come out and hit you. But behind him is this gigantic alchemic symbol that sits behind him. And if anyone's ever played it and it can translate that, you know, let me know. It looks to be a lot of what Spider said earlier with the circle and the, the squared circle, and there's some, some, some runic symbols attached to that. So that's just one in, in one game that has that symbol. And if you go into games like uh, Curse of Darkness or Lament of Innocence, you'll see some other alchemic symbols and a lot of the the the, the NPCs in that game that help you out throughout that game, such as uh, Renato Gandolfi. He, or Gandolfini, he actually creates these these things with alchemy and they use a lot of al- alchemic symbology in these games and the cool thing is is you know after i had studied some of these images and then went back to play the game I'm like oh yeah that's that's an alchemic symbol and you could just tell because not all alchemic symbols are pictures of people sometimes they're symbols and shapes and like spider said they're very uh geometrical which is really cool if you're into geometry i'm into mm. geometry some people aren't some people they're like, oh, it's math, but mathematics is like the key concept of alchemy. You should be well versed in mathematics because you have to measure things out. So if you think you can just throw a pile of chemical A into chemical B and turn heat up to twelve, your house is gonna blow up. Literally. You probably burn <laughs> your Don't be a don't be a doofus. Please don't be a doofus. And then be like, I heard on that in candy earth them points that I could make my own philosopher's stone. Hey. You can't. All right, unless you spent 21 years studying <laughs> images, you could not make your own Philosopher's Stone. But Castlevania, and you can get that game on almost every single system except the Xbox One and the PS4, even though there are the classics on both of those systems that you can play. Symphony of the Night is on both. I highly recommend it. You can see your alchemy symbols in that game. There's even parts where you can use certain items and they'll create an alchemic symbol with or like one is this power of Vlad and it shows the actual old school picture of Vlad Tepish behind, uh, in front of a, a symbol behind him and that pretty much will kill almost every enemy on the screen there's pentagrams and all kinds of cool stuff in that game with alchemic symbols so Castlevania pick it up now, um, now me, I'm not really a fan of this kind of stuff, but um, I'm going to talk about it anyway, just because it has the name, the, the what we're discussing in the name. There's a popular uh, Japanese anime show called Full Metal Alchemist. All right, and again, I don't know very much about this at all. I don't know how much the concept actually is involved with it. Maybe you'll be able to fill it in. As soon as you finish, I'm going to talk about because I'm watching it right now. Oh, not well, there right you now. go. Um, since I'm going to bring it up, and I'm going to let you actually get into the meat of it, because I have no idea what I'm talking about. So you go ahead and explain what it is. Okay, so I have recently started watching this, because I remembered that it was about alchemy, and I'd watched an episode or two years and years back when it first came out, and I was just, life was, I was a little bit busy at the time, so I didn't get to watch it. But basically what it is about, it's about uh, two brothers, and they're alchemists. The one is a is a is a prodigy of alchemy. 
and he knows how to do every single thing pretty much in the alchemical world. And he's a young he's a young guy, so he's he's really good at it. He just he's a little rough around the edges, so he's trying to hone his his alchemic skills. But their mother gets sick one day and, and she dies. And they learn of a way to bring a human being back. Well, like I said earlier, this is where this the even exchange comes in. This is where I, you know, I brought this from earlier. You have to give something in order to gain something. So sacrifice. So what happens is they try to get the soul of their mother back so they can put it into a body. Well, they use their own blood and they use the mixture of what the human body is made out of. And so they put in water and everything else and what we're composed of. And they try to bring the mother back. Well, it backfires horribly. Al, which is which is uh, uh, the, 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 the younger brother, his whole body turns into a rotting mess. He can't he can't move, he can't do anything. So he has to he has to get his body put into a in a suit of armor. Okay, so he's his spirit is 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 bound to a giant suit of armor. And if anybody's watching show you know what I'm talking about. And while they did bring back their mother, she was also a big rotting mess and, and, and it was a disaster and there was just there was so much going on. So Elfric loses his arm and his leg because he has to. You have to pay. You have to pay when you try to do a human transmutation. When you try to bring something back, it takes something from you. So it took his arm and it took his leg. So he gets fitted with what's known as auto mail, which is basically a prosthetic arm and a prosthetic leg. So the whole story so far is them journeying to to give each other's bodies back. Alfred wants to give. His his brother's body back, his whole body, because he's just a suit of armor. His body's gone. And then his brother, Al, wants to give his brother back his arm and his leg. And they go through these different cities, and they end up looking for the philosopher's stone. It's pretty much what it's. They're trying to find this so they can restore each other's bodies and maybe bring their mother back. <clears throat> so they go to different towns and stuff, and they meet other alchemists, and then they get in these alchemical fights. And the the, the 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 full concept of alchemy is in the show. That's what's so really that's what's really cool about it. It's not just you know like Elder Scrolls or like Castlevania mm-hmm. where there's like a bit of alchemy. The whole story is about alchemy. And so, for instance, it, it shows the, they're they're fighting a guy who's also another alchemist, and he takes a little dagger that he has on the table, and he's able to to turn it into a sword. So he's fighting, and then another part. They're able to make walls. They're able to, to put holes in walls to make doors. So they're taking and then and they're and they're giving, and it's really cool. Like for instance, when they make the door, they gave the wall in exchange for the door. And I know to a lot of people it might sound boring, but the series is really cool. I know that Spider probably wouldn't be into it. Maybe he would, but I definitely recommend it. You should definitely give it a watch. At least watch a couple episodes. If you don't like it, turn it off. Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna judge you. Nobody's gonna say, "Hey, you out there in Radio Land, why didn't you watch that show?" Nobody's gonna do that. But I recommend it. It's probably a, it's it's roughly fifty to sixty episodes. I want to say, so about two seasons, roughly, if you would however you count seasons. And it's a good watch. They're about twenty some odd minutes, because you got to account for the the beginning theme song and then the end theme song. And sometimes anime has a break in the middle. All this does is just show the, the show name in the corner. 
so you don't have to worry about there being a break in the middle usually. But the characters are pretty fresh. They're enjoyable. I, I like the, the banter between the two brothers and the banter between the, 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 the actual human brother who's still human. He's a little shorter, so he thinks everybody calls him a pipsqueak, and then he'll add extra stuff like, did you call me a pipsqueak? It's not taller than a loaf of bread. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And so there's a lot of humor to it, which is good, because a lot of time there's just stories are too serious. And I think this story kind of breaks up that monotony and adds some humor, and it's good. And the show is, 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 is really awesome in that so their father in the show, who, who they, they're, they're looking for him as well, and they, they don't know what happened to him. He kind of stepped out. There's a war going on, so he kind of stepped out and had to help with the war. His real name is actually the same real name of Paracelsius, Hoheim. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's, they, they drop a lot of, uh, a lot of alchemical figures, names, and concepts, and ideas into the show. So, and thank you, Spider, for segueing me right into that. Because as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and take that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm watching it right now. So, and I'll probably watch it when the radio shows over. So when it shows over tonight, I'll be watching it and studying for our next topic. But Spider, what else do you got? Good deal. Um, I found a list of, uh, of musical albums that were either named after Alchemical Process or, or have something to do with the... Uh, the the lyrical content is somehow related. Um, on this list, of course, we do have Pink Floyd, A Sauce Full of Secrets. So good call on that already. Um, there's a Van Morrison album called The Philosopher's Stone from 1998. There is a Smashing Pumpkins album called Machina, The Machines of God from 2000. There's also a an album from the UK band Home called The Alchemist. Ingway Malmsteen, Alchemy... You've got Bruce Dickinson with The Chemical Wedding. And uh, you also have, and this is more more as far as uh, symbology than it is about lyrical content and things. Um, this is the album I listen to every year on Christmas Day. It's uh, Marilyn Manson's Hollywood album. There's a lot of symbology and a lot of things in that w- with that one. If you're if you're a follower of any, any of his music, you might know that over the last few years I've been kind of like, big sigh, like, eh, whatever. But, um... This was the last great lyrically clever and lyrically depth-wise album that I think he put out before the slide began. So if you're looking for some kind of interesting lyrical content and some ideas and things like that when he was still kind of a big smart guy before the alcohol and the drugs and everything started really taking over, check it out, Marilyn Manson, Hollywood. Um, I'm sure there's more albums than what are on this list, but it's a good starting point. Um for uh for alchemy related music or or conceptual music and things and i wanted to add one because i i know this he's talking about and when i saw the Marilyn manson album, i was like oh yeah spider's gonna be all over that <laughs> we have a, a group that i enjoy listening to dire straits and their album yes. alchemy and i was like oh dire straits and, and it and the, and the album itself is a live album and i'm not a fan of live albums I think that if you go, if, if the only way you can listen to something live is by being there, in my opinion, unless you're listening to like Fan of the Opera on, on CD, you know, my mother has that, and it's cool to listen to it, you know what I mean, live, because it, it's like they're putting on the play in your ears. But in terms of like going out and buying an album, hearing people cheer as they're doing songs and hearing the band, like, this one's for you. Who? 
I'm not there. I, I can't see who you're pointing to. Are you pointing to me? So I'm not a big fan of live albums. So I was I was really impressed that they made a, an album called Alchemy, but it's an all live album. So am I going to go out and listen to it? Probably not. So And then, like the Spider said, Van Morrison, very, very talented uh, gentleman with the Philosopher's Stone. That was pretty cool. I didn't I didn't know he had that album, so that was cool. Yeah, good, good work there, Spider. Nice mm-hmm. work. Good stuff. Um, so... I think that's the end of that segment for me. So what else do we got? What else you got? Okay, so the next thing I'm going to bring up is one of the weirdest movies I've watched on YouTube. And I've I've seen bits and pieces. I have pieced enough together to say, like, if you're not into surreal-type movies, you're not going to be into this. And it's a really weird and just goofy movie. I, I really don't know how else to put it. It's called The Holy Mountain. It's an older movie by... And I'm going to look this up. I'm actually going to do the research while we're, while we're doing this because it's a really kind of disturbing film. Basically, it revolves around a guy named The Thief. He's a, he's a, it's the director. I'm actually looking up the director's name now. I believe he's a... I want to say Spanish, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. So I'm going to look that up right quick for you folks. But basically, the, the movie revolves around this guy trying to get to the holy mountain and I know you're thinking oh that doesn't sound bad until you see the the actual images for instance there's one where people so they make they make a a fake body of Christ oh I'm sorry it's by Alejandro Jodowski hope I got the right Jodorowsky Um, he's a Mexican filmmaker oh I apologize if I thought he was Spanish I I don't know for some reason I thought he was basically um The Beatles liked it, obviously. They were, and but then at that time the Beatles were kind of weird. This movie came out in 1973, so you know. But anyways, it revolved around uh, the thief, and and the whole thing is real symbolic in the fact that there's a lot of tarot in it. So there's you have all your your your, your tarot cards being represented here. Then you have the the, the planets being represented by different people who are a personification of said planets. For instance, a cosmetic manufacturer represents Venus, a weapons manufacturer represents Mars, and, you know, with the with the God of War and all that being Mars and, and, and Aries and all that jazz. So there's that. I mean, there are art dealer representing Jupiter, a war, toy, a war toy maker representing Saturn, you have people representing Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and all that jazz. And so they, they do some symbological stuff, such as burning their money and burning wax images of themselves. Yeah. And the one guy is actually an alchemist and, and one of the characters. And so the thief finds them, and there's the whole wanting to find gold, and there's a, there's a part where the guy defecates into a container, and then they transform that into gold. It's a really goofy, weird movie. It's a surreal movie. So anybody that's ever seen a surreal-style movie, uh, Arnofsky does one. He did one called Mother. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. I'm not a big Arnofsky fan. I think that the guy is a bit goofy. You know, sorry. It's kind of stupid. But so this this all this all takes place, and people go to the top of the mountain, and they're trying to learn these the the, the truths and all that. And then it ends up, what ends up happening is... The, the 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 movie ends 
with the alchemist saying, you know, zoom back camera, and then it reveals the whole. It's like it's a fourth wall break, and anybody knows what that is. Uh, Deadpool does that a lot in comics and movies, where he basically says, "Hey, people up there watching, I know you're watching." So this is basically the same thing. Pans back, they're showing the studio and the cameras and all that, and it's it's a mess. It is a mess of a movie. Two out of ten. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that when you see it once, you're good for the rest of your entire life. Yeah, a lot of it, it runs me of The Fountain, and I don't know how many of you have actually seen The Fountain out there. People love it, I guess. I thought it was boring. I don't know. I, I, I got, like, it felt like three separate movies to me. And, it's um, which is what it did feel like. None of which was really uh, fleshed out enough. Like, I thought, okay, maybe they're all connected. I'm sure they are at some point, but I'm missing the connection part. So each of these three parts that comes off, like, three separate stories feels incomplete. And All I remember like, is the tree and his wife had cancer, and that's it. Well, I mean, it's an interesting concept. I'll, I'll dig into it a little bit since you brought it up. Um, yeah, the ahead. fountain, of course, there's three parts to it. There's uh, there's the the cu- current day aspect, um, which this is um, this is Hugh Jackman, isn't it? I yeah, I believe so. And uh, Rachel Weiss, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Hugh Jackman in wrong. in modern day, he's a he's a doctor. Or, uh, or some kind of a specialist in, in the medical field, and he's trying to cure his wife's cancer. And he's got so, like, he's trying to find a modern day fountain of youth, basically. And, uh, and he hits upon all this stuff, all this experimental treatment, and it still fails. So it's like a sad story, that kind of thing. No real resolution. He continues to try the work after she's gone because he wants to bring her back to life. Um, there's no, uh, there's no Frankenstein kind of corpse kind of stuff with it. It's not that kind of a movie. It has some sci-fi stuff into it, but it's nothing like that. Um, there's also a past element where he's supposed to be a conquistador in search of the of uh, the fountain of youth in the jungle, and the fountain ends up being some kind of a um, like a a, a a plant almost, like a tree where he he drinks the sap from the tree, and then he lays down and he dies, and a new tree springs out of his body and becomes part of the plant ecosystem. Again, interesting little story, but how it's connected to the other thing, I don't know. The last part is he's like a um, like a Tibetan-style um, uh, hairless monk living on a piece of rock surrounded by some kind of an energy shield in space. And on <laughs> this rock is the tree from the beginning. And he's sitting there with the tree and communing with it or something of that nature. And they they fly up into uh, into Shibulba, which is the uh, the Mesoamerican um, afterlife, basically. And it, they're all really interesting. They're all really nice visually. It, it's great cinematography, but the the connection that ties them all together is missing. It seems like there should be something else there. Like, are they three separate people? Is him him with three different lifetimes? Is it all happening at the same time in his brain? I mean, what is the connecting thing to it? And it's not there. So, I've seen other movies by this guy. Some of them are okay, some of them aren't. Anybody who wonders, he's the filmmaker behind Requiem for a Dream, which is yeah. itself kind of a messy movie, but at least it's cohesive. It's a cohesive film about yeah, you know right. drug use and things like that. So it's it, you can follow along with it. It, it gets out there because that's the kind of stuff he makes. It gets out there and, and kind of like whoa. And let, and let me say this: all of his movies are depressing. Do not <laughs> go into the. I didn't see Mother, but I read the synopsis because I was like, let me see if this is just another just just mess. It's a mess. Jennifer Lawrence supposed to be Mother Earth. 
things happen, things happen to her. Pi wasn't Found. so bad. Pi was his first movie. It was black and white, and it dealt with Kabbalah and things like that. And uh, the the main character from that ends on a pretty good note. I think he ends pretty content oh. with life. So well, that's see, I've never seen that movie. So the, I I have to reserve judgment for when I mm-hmm. see it. But the Fountain, Wrecking for a Dream, and Mother are all just whew, heavy. They're heavy movies. If if you if you're going in for a, like a lighthearted rom com or you're going in to see expect to see Will Ferrell asking you know mom where the meatloaf is you're not gonna find that so don't go into these movies and this movie is the exact the, the holy mountain I got off track here is the same way it is just a mess <laughs> so it's an alchemical movie in the fact that there's a lot of symbolism to the to the to alchemic and there's an actual alchemist in the movie. But it is just utter mess. There's parts where they're carrying around dead birds on a stick, some festival, and the thief because he resembles Jesus Christ in appearance. Some the the locals cast an impression of his body and sell crucifixes. The thief ends up eating the face off of his wax statue and sends it skyward with balloons. When I tell you it's a mess, it's a mess. <laughs> That's why this and, and the funny thing is, is the movie is actually sampled by one of my favorite uh, producers uh, and groups, LP, off of the company Flow album, Funk Retro Plus. There's a song. There's multiple. I think multiple songs where that does the Holy Mountain. There's stuff from the Holy Mountain in it, and you're just like. Cause that's where I got the, because uh, uh, I knew about this before we did the the, the Optimus show, mm. or out the, the 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 Optimus show. I knew about this probably ooh, a long time ago actually when I first heard the album, and I'm like, oh, okay, what is this movie from? So I was typing in quotes, read the synopsis, then saw some of it, and I'm like, this is a mess. Uh, but surreal does that, folks. If you if you watch a surreal movie, it's gonna be filled with weird stuff. So just just uh, FYI out there man that went on for a bit yeah I'm well, I mean, movies like that are kind of like uh, you know so what else do we have let's see let's see what else do we have here on the on the, on the spectrum now we have a, a a movie that probably everybody knows it's a very popular series a very popular book series probably one of the most popular book series to date and I'm talking about of course Harry Potter because mm-hmm. a lot of people enjoy the Harry Potter series it's okay to me I don't mind it um, but Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone which is the name of the first movie but not in the United States in the United States it's the Sorcerer's Stone but in the book it actually talks about the Philosopher's Stone and there's a lot of uh Illusions to Alchemy, and in, I believe, Fantastic Beasts 2 or 1, I haven't seen Harry Potter to a, uh, to fulfillment. I haven't seen all of them. I think Order of the Phoenix was the last one, so that's where I'm at with Harry Potter. But I guess in one of the new Fantastic Beasts movie, one or two, I don't know. I don't know how many there are. They actually have Nicholas Flamel in it. So, I, you know... I, there's a whole bunch of alchemy, sim- alch- uh, alchemy symbology in 
in the, in the first Harry Potter, I believe. It's been such a long time since I've seen that one, and I've I've read most of the first book, and it was alright. I mean, they're 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 searching for this philosopher's stone, and there's a couple reasons why I'm not going to get into it because if nobody's ever read the book, you know, the books and the movies aren't exactly the same. There's a lot of different parts. Uh, <clears throat> a buddy of mine actually, he explained the whole story to me, and it sounded better the way he explained it than what I was seeing on TV or watching it. So that was cool. But Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, obviously that has roots in alchemy, being the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. Spider, what's your opinion on the old Harry Potter series? Never been a big fan. I mean, it got to be super popular right off the bat. And for one thing, I'm I'm kind of one of those like, if everybody likes it, it must be garbage kind of things. (laughs) Even though I'm a little more open-minded. I know it's probably got a lot of good redeeming qualities. I was just never a fan of those, those... the kind of stuff that was targeted for for younger adults, and um, that you're supposed to grow with the characters and things like that. I'm, I was just never into that kind of thing, so it, it's okay. I can see the appeal of it, but I, I'm I've never been into it myself. I could tell you some, I don't know, five or six facts about the entire franchise, and that's about it. And uh, other than the author can't seem to decide on a day to day basis what characters what their qualities are, so. Um, She's really kind of like flip floppy on stuff. It's like, is this character about like this kind of thing? Well, no, not today. Today's blah, 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 blah. Oh, okay. Well, there's so many potholes, too, in it. They have like one glaring pothole that, or should I say, a potter hole. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it was why, they, why don't they just go back in time and kill Voldemort? Because, like, you know, Voldemort, mm-hmm. that's the dude you can't name. And I'm like, oh, okay. He doesn't have a nose either. But there's a reason for that. Well, how does he smell? I don't know. Awful. (laughs) But a buddy of mine, he explained it to me, and it was cool. Like the, I I think it would have been good if J.K. Rowling didn't write it, because it's it's it has interesting concepts, and there's. So much to it, but I, I'm sorry, folks. I'm just not a Potter fan. I just I can't get into it. I tried. I tried. I read the first book, most of it. Eh, I've seen most of the movies. I just it, it, I can't get into it. But but on the other end of that, I'm also not big into Lord of the Rings either. I got. I mean, I've seen them. They're they're good to watch once, but I'm not one of those people that can sit and watch the 11 hour extended and extra edition. You know, and I like the Hobbit movies better. I like The Hobbit better as a story than the, than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But that's only because I, I Tolkien's reading kind of bores me. And that's no offense to people who like J.R. Well, Tolkien. Well, I mean, he's, he was a language professor, first and foremost. And when he first wrote the first stories about it and uh, the initial storyline, it wasn't really... He didn't intend to become an author, per se. He intended to show off a language that he created for the purposes of people studying it to see how language is interplayed with other things. So he created this elven language, not as a joke, but as like a, a like a thesis kind of thing. But he right. needed to put a universe together for it to be in so that you could see how it interacted with everybody else to see as how languages, you know, how living languages work. And it became a lot more than he expected it to be. Now, to break from that, uh, a game that, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition to a, a video game here that I think me and Spider played. I've probably played a little bit more than Spider has, and I enjoyed it, and that's The Witcher. Mm-hmm. Yes, folks, The Witcher. And that has a lot of alchemic references. Side note, there's a movie in the works with uh, Henry Cavill of, uh, of Man of Steel. 
fame recently. But I think I think it's a series. I don't think it's a movie. Like a, a web series or something like that, like Netflix oh, kind like of a thing. Netflix. Yeah, I, I don't remember series. for sure, but but yeah, he's he's supposed to be the the dude in it. So carry on. And it's kind. Of, I don't know how to how to think of that either because when you see Geralt of River Rivia, he looks different than Harry Cavill, and I'm just like, I don't know if Superman can pull that off. Oh boy. <laughs> but so he he does a lot of alchemical signs, and there's a lot of symbols and. You mix potions together and you create things. It's it's a good it's a good game. That being The Witcher Three, I haven't played the other two in the series. I know there's The Witcher and The Witcher Two. I have both, but I've just never played them. I like The Witcher Three; it's a really solid title. But at the same time, it's just it's it's big. It's a big game, and and a lot of times I don't have a lot of time to play the bigger games like that, the bigger role playing games. Mm-hmm. And, and Assassin's Creed I can do because you can, you know, you kind of can explore and that's, you get a little bit more action into it. You don't have to do so much on the role-playing end. But The Witcher 3, it's a big game. It's got really cool uh, 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 it alludes to alchemy in a, a variety of ways. So it's cool if you're looking to play kind of a game that isn't alchemy in your face. But you're just looking, hey, I want to see some side alchemy action. And you'll mm-hmm. see it. it. It's pretty interesting. Now, the last um, the last thing that I'm going to um, that I'm going to mention probably for uh, for the night before we head off here is um, there's a genre of music out. And I don't know if you've heard of it. I'm sure you've heard some music from it, but um, I don't know if you've heard as described as this. But it's called witch house witch house music. It's a genre. Um, Which one? It's, <laughs> hey, <laughs> uh, it's an occult-themed dark electronic music micro genre, is what they call it, and uh, it, it started kind of emerging in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, it's heavily influenced by chopped and screwed hip hop soundscapes, industrial experimentation, synthesizers, drum machines, obscure samples, that kind of thing. And um, the the music is one thing, but the um, the symbology is really one of the things that stand out about it because universally almost all of the symbology is uh, is alchemical and unicode symbols and different things uh triangles and things like that this is where if you see an artist a new artist come out and in their name in place of an a they have an ups, they have a v or an, uh, a triangle this is where that came from it came from the witch house thing um so it's an interesting thing um there's some things that are on the very edge of it that aren't considered full in the genre, but are interesting to listen to. One of those would be a, a group called Crosses by a, uh, a singer, Mr. Chino Moreno, who, uh, as hey. some of us know, is in a band called Deftones. He's a very, very well-versed uh, vocalist. He does a lot of different projects. This is not a heavy music project for anybody who's who knows about Deftones. This is a lighter, synthetic, really decent stuff. Um, yes. crosses so it, it's only barely on the edge of that genre because of the electronic kind of stuff and because of the symbolism that it uses a lot of people kind of accused him of co-opting the the symbolism of the genre to try to get more popular with that subgroup of people all this other kind of stuff I don't know I don't care about that kind of stuff that was all a bunch of dramatic whatever who cares um, but uh, it's good stuff so if you want to listen to it which house how much of it is actually you know alchemical content hard to say but symbolically interesting stuff um that's getting about 
probably the last amount of time that we have for tonight. So let's uh, let's get into some final thoughts. What do you think about uh, about alchemy? Do you think that we'll ever come across some golden thing that says, yes, alchemy is true, this is how you do it? Or do you think it's still always going to be a purely philosophical thing? What are your thoughts? It's both. I definitely believe you can turn lead to gold. It just takes the right amount of chemical mixtures to make it happen. I mean, we've seen far greater things than lead to gold. We've seen nuclear fission, fusion, all of it. We've seen all kinds of, of, of metal transformations. We've seen chemical transformations. We've come so far in the past 100 years from where we were. And yes, I, I do believe it's possible. I believe that this Philosopher's Stone thing very much is the embodiment of of lead to gold or, or whatever metal you're looking to change into another metal. Now, that being said, do I think that the Philosopher's Stone is giving immortality or or, or uh, curing diseases? Maybe not the immortality part. The curing diseases, maybe. But I have a hard time because, you know, if you're going to cure a disease, you pretty much have to ingest this thing, right? And if you're ingesting it, you probably shouldn't drink mercury, but... If you're uh, if you're transmuting it, then you're changing it. So maybe they figure out a way to change the properties of it to where ingesting it cures diseases and this, that, and the third. Because mercury is a really important thing, and we see that throughout history. Like our show last week, we talked about or the, the the show a couple weeks back, we talked about Nazis. Mercury was a key concept in the in the, in the cloak, hmm. the, the the bell. So that there, mercury seems to be an important aspect. The immortality part, no. But the, the, the Philosopher's Stone aspect of, of lead to gold, yes. Now, whether or not we, we can do it now, nobody knows. Nobody's done it. Uh, nobody talks about it that much anymore. And whether that's just because, you know, it, it died off, people aren't really that interested in it because it's such a arduous task to, to replicate or to, 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 to work out. We don't know that. But yeah, I, I could definitely see that happening. Just because our natural world, it's, it's very possible. We, we can do all kinds of things with radiation and things of that, and doing chemical experiments now heats some serious results. So I don't, I don't, I don't put that far off. As far as it being a spiritual thing, yes, alchemy. I think at its core is a spiritual aspect. I think once you figured out spiritually what alchemy truly is, you can move on to doing physical alchemy in terms of creating different metals and being able to do these uh, concoctions and bringing that to life. But alchemy will always at its core be pure spiritual because <clears throat> if you look at Flamel, if you look at Bacon, if you look at Isaac Newton, they were all spiritual men for the most part. They all had beliefs and, and they believed in God and they, and they used that spirituality with alchemy and they mixed the two to create what they believed and what they thought and how they felt. So the, the aspect of spirituality will always be at the forefront of alchemy. I mean, people say lead to gold, but that's because that's, that's like the, the generic uh, alchemic idea that it's lead to gold. Mm. But they don't understand that the lead could also be the person at, at their base point and becoming transferring or transferring into gold brings out their true self. So, and those are my final thoughts. Now, um, no, I'm kind of along the same lines. I mean, I, I think the whole alchemy thing was, uh, there was, there was chemistry involved with it, and I think part of the chemistry back in the day was more for demonstration purposes, 
I think the real core of it was the philosophical outlook and uh, and the changing of self. And it was supposed to be a lesson. And if you're patient enough to sit and do these elements the way that we describe them to you, then you're patient enough to work on yourself and get yourself you know where you need to be. So, um, I, I think uh, a lot of it was flash and bang kind of stuff where they probably did use things like uh, the gunpowder or the black powder, etc., and and things of that nature to cause a lot of results visually, but final thought on it was that it was always supposed to be a philosophical concept and uh, that it's just been distorted over the years and people in the Middle Ages lost a lot of knowledge and uh, ended up with mostly just the physical recipes, quote-unquote, and they were really confused by them, but uh, but I decided to bank on them. So that's where I'm at with that. Okay, so this draws us to the end of our show at this point. We hope you have all had a great time listening to us talk about alchemy for, for a good two hours. What what do you think would be a good topic for next week? Um, let's see. Do we want to go for something that's uh, that's a bit more well-known, or do we want to go with something niche? No, we could always go either alternate history timelines, that being said with the Mandela effect. Uh, we could do, did human beings come from Mars? And we could, we could expand upon that. Did we come from an outer space standpoint? Did they come to Earth? We could talk about that. Uh, the pop culture might not be there as much, but we could always do alternate history. We can do pretty much whatever you folks out there would like to see, and we could always put a poll up. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's keep it murky for today, and then uh, over the next day or two, we'll come up with something, and we'll present it if uh, if nothing better presents itself. And we'll put a poll out there, too, I think. Well, me and Spider here will discuss it. Mm-hmm. We'll put a poll up there. But... Uh, that's it for me tonight. You folks, thank you for joining in and listening to us talk about alchemy. It's been a great conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure Spider learned a lot. and We mm-hmm. had a lot of fun. Uh, I've enjoyed it, and I'm going to keep studying it like I have been studying it. And maybe one of these days you guys will see me run around in a brand new gold car. I- <laughs> Everything so, is made of gold. So for myself, I will see you folks next week. And always be uncanny. Always. And that's right. That is the uh, that is the call sign of the show, always. And um, again, tune in next week. Next week, I believe, is the next episode back for uh, the Let's Talk About the Music Radio Show on Wednesday. So tune into that. And of course, tomorrow night there's going to be another episode of the Dreary Round Weekend for all your independent music needs. So as Rob stated, I'm going to repeat it: Don't be normal if you can be uncanny. Good night. <laughs>